Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have John Papa. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we have two guests. We have Ilya Bodrov. Yeah, hello. Hello, everyone. And Roman Kutanov. I hope I said yeah. your names okay. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, do you gentlemen want to introduce yourselves real quick, and then we'll uh, dive in and start talking about Angular? Yeah, that would be great. So, well, I used to be a Microsoft tutor, and now I'm working as developer. I mostly well, work with Ruby, with Elixir, and, of course, with JavaScript. Also, I write quite a lot for different platforms like SitePoint, Tuts Plus, Edronix, and others. Also, I produce some courses, and also I work in university as a teacher. So that's pretty much it about me. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm currently a co-founder and CTO in a small startup called Admil Corp. We are making an application, the application for smallest businesses, so-called solopreneurs. And previously, I also was a CTO of uh, Campaigner.ru. Uh, it was a Russian startup in uh, social media. And uh, before that, I was uh, also a co-founder of small startup, or not so small, actually, a startup in Russia, Skillopedia. It was a video educational site. So that's me. Cool. <laughs> Lots of stuff. Well, we brought you on today to talk about Angular, especially Angular use cases in startups. The title that you you guys submitted to us was uh, what it is and why you should use it. And I think people are pretty familiar with Angular and what it is. I'm curious, though, why it's, in your opinion, a great option for new startups. So, uh, actually, it's, it is complicated and it depends. So, mm-hmm. in um, Angular is very uh, opinionated framework, as you know. It has... Uh, a lot of stuff like uh, objects, like components, uh, services, pipes, and so on and so on. So the rule of thumb, I think that uh, if you are experienced programmer, if you support these opinions about how the software should be, like you support the Angular way of doing things, Angular is good. If your project also have many functionality and you also have some team to work with, it's also a good choice because uh, many other frameworks where they are so simple, but this simplicity is all, uh, sometimes it's it's simple to start with these frameworks, with simple frameworks, but it's very hard to make a scalable and, uh, you know, good product in the end. So I think in many cases, Angular is a very good choice. 
Well, yeah, on the other hand, I well, can say that sometimes it's hard to start with Angular, especially if you're not familiar with these concepts, if you're not a seasoned developer. Uh, well, because some years ago when we were working with Roman in Campaigner and we tried using AngularJS and we've never tried Angular before that, that was quite complex to get started. Well, to understand all these concepts, uh, well, because uh, there are some other frameworks like, I don't know, like maybe Stimulus that appeared some month ago. It's much, much simpler. It's much smaller. So it really depends on what you're trying to build and how much time do you have and if you have enough experience, shall we say. Yeah, and I've, I've done some playing with Stimulus and it's it's simple under certain circumstances. And then... Yeah, once you really get rolling with it, sometimes you run into some limitations with it because it's, you know, it's bare bones, but at the same time, you know, you need something fast and something simple. It's it's really nice. So there are always trade-offs, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, in startup, uh, startups are, they also a kind of extreme. And in startups, we have a situation when you deal with extreme uncertainty. And when you have this extreme uncertainty, you want to have such, you know, simple thing as reusability. For example, I often had to, you know, change the functionality of my pro- of my product. And with Angular, I can easily transfer some of my existing modules into the new application, or so you know, a pivoted application. Pivot is just uh, when you're trying to find your market niche, your market fit, and you pivot your application a little bit. Um, so with Angular, it's very simple to transfer. With um, some framework, it, it, it is very hard to transfer, actually, the code from one application to another. So there is no reusability, shall we say. Yeah. Also, Angular have an uh, excellent community, which I should say. There are some problems, and we know it, <laughs> like uh, this whole uh, mess with versions, uh, the mess with, you know... With breaking changes. Breaking changes and release candidates, yeah, exactly. Let's go through those a little bit. Um, when you say there's a problem with versions and breaking changes, can you elaborate a little? Yeah, of course. So, for example, um, you are developing some startup, <laughs> say like we do, and... Um, you want to, of course, uh, to be uh, on the latest technologies. And, for example, I o- often use Ionic uh, for um, mobile application. You know, Ionic framework is based on Angular. And people are in Ionic and I believe in other open source projects based on Angular, they often uh, lagging behind Angular core project. So sometimes you got into a situation when you you know want to have some libraries installed but you cannot do that because you know you are on one version and this version is not supported and with um, it also was a you know huge mess with release candidates when you're planning to release something and you just saw that you know another release come out well, yeah, another example is a transition from AngularJS to just Angular, which happened like two years ago. And, well, uh, people had to just rewrite the application basically from scratch because lots of changes were deprecated, new changes were incorporated. So that was 
well, quite complex and people were frustrated with that, I think. So that's like uh, probably the biggest maybe example on these breaking changes. But well, uh, luckily, I don't uh, well remember any other problems uh, that big, at least with new versions. So I think transition from like version 5 to version 6 is not that problematic. Well, yeah. At least based on my, my experience, shall we say. Yeah, currently I have the, the Angular 1, actually, mm -hmm. Angular JS application uh, working. It's too complex to rewrite it currently, so I just postponed it to the later. Oh, yeah, I think people yeah. are even uh, afraid maybe to transition because maybe they don't have that good uh, testing uh, suite, or maybe they uh, will fear to break like everything. Maybe they don't have enough experience. So. Yeah, I agree with you there on the AngularJS side of things. If you are working with a production AngularJS app that works, there'd have to be a really compelling reason for me to try to rewrite that to go to the new version of Angular, Angular 6 currently at this point. Um, but I also agree with, I think it was uh, Ilya, I believe it was you, said that going from like Angular 4 to 5 or 5 to 6, now that they have that ng-update feature inside mm -hmm. the CLI, Boy, that is so freaking amazing yeah. to just be able to run a command and have it update your app. And you don't have to worry about, oh, I forgot RxJS changed how it did this or how it does that. It just updates your code. Obviously, turn on Git changes so you know you don't let it just do it. Right. Before doing these kind of changes, if you didn't know that a command changed, and something that bit a lot of people at one point was, remember, HTTP changed from HTTP to HTTP client? And uh, I forget, like 4.2 or something like that. If you didn't know, if you weren't paying attention, all of a sudden all your stuff acted different and you're like, what's, what's going on? Why am I getting these messages? Or... So I agree, version control has always been an issue. But to be fair, I don't think it's any different for my friends who are in the React world. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know about the view world as much because they have had less uh, churn going there lately But uh, from what I've seen. But the React world, I hear the same kind of things in a different format. Mm. Yeah, but uh, what I like about Angular, uh, the, the Google and the community um, community drives it in the right direction, I think. Uh, so instead of doing simple things, uh, they uh, trying to really make it fast, make um, programmers more productive. So that's what I like about Angular. I'm, I'm a little curious. I mean, you've talked about some of the companies that you've worked for. What in particular is it like? running a startup and building on Angular. What have you done with it, and, and how has that worked out for you? We started to use Angular, uh, I, I think, in Campaigner. Uh, uh, yeah, for, for comments. Yeah, maybe so that was a messaging platform. We had a messaging platform there. Uh, yeah, it was Angular 1, and um, later I had the startup uh, at Mew, uh, where we decided that we should help these entrepreneurs with uh, their marketing stuff. So I started to write the application, and the application, you know, at first I, I decided to make something like what you see is what you get uh, editor for, um, for, land, for landing pages. And uh, it, it was based on uh, Angle 1. At the moment, I didn't know the why, uh, TypeScript, TypeScript, and uh, but transition from um, Angular JS to Angular to Angular two, uh, you know, was very smooth because I think I had 
uh, and I have some experience in uh, more uh, heavyweight languages like Java, like C++. And I think many web programmers who actually uh, started with PHP, for example, uh, they, uh, or maybe just pure Java, JavaScript, I mean, I think for them it's this path is a little bit harder. So what I did, uh, I wrote this editor and I wrote um, a kind of uh, service for making landing pages, uh, for creating um, marketing campaigns like in AdWords, in uh, Facebook. And uh, currently, this Angle One application, I would, uh, it uh, serves uh, us as a as a backend. <laughs> I also did some stuff in Ruby, uh, like uh, wrote some domain structured language uh, for marketing activities. It's kind of um, maybe you know uh, Cucumber. It's a library for testing in Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> I took this idea of having some DSL for uh, like managers, for business persons, uh, and they wrote and they write um, something uh, like, which looks like programming, but actually you have this language like uh, action, take this data and put it into, I don't know, AdWords or uh, register with you, uh, this user, create for him a landing page, for example. So I wrote this language, uh, but uh, it, it, it is in Ruby. Later, we decided that, uh, you know, web is a little bit outdated as a uh, distribution channel. So we decided to write mobile application. I know a little bit of iOS and Android. I uh, wrote some si simple applications, but we decided to just use Ionic and, you know, have the all our functionality transferred to mobile without needing to, without any, uh, like, writing a new application. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that was a moment when I really, f you know, fell in love with <laughs> Angular because uh, it was amazing. You can just take your web application and turn it into, you know, mobile application. Um, yeah, I know that nowadays it's uh, it maybe sounds very uh, simple and uh, you know common knowledge, but uh, at the moment it was a really big surprise that you can do this. So and we we did a mobile application with the same functionality and uh, we started to experiment. Well, my 10 cents is, well, let's return to Campaigner when we were creating a messaging system. And, well, it was in times when AngularJS just appeared. And so there were not that many resources, unfortunately. So, well, I tried so to... so many documentation, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was not, not, not enough documentation, that's true. And, well, initially, this messaging system, it was built with Ruby on Rails, but then we decided to use Angular 4 front-end. And, well, we had no clue what to do because we, well, there were no explanation on how to... Well, tie these two parts together and uh, quite honestly that was quite complex so like I spent maybe lots of hours just to understand so then it started to work somehow but unfortunately after that campaigner ceased to exist so basically we were unable to just utilize this application anymore so it's like I built it and 
that's it. That's great, but no one needs it anymore. So that, that's the story. So just to clarify where you all are now, because we've kind of talked about a couple of different apps and things, mm-hmm. what versions of Angular and what kind of server are you using for your startup today? I actually uh, wrote, uh, it was a mistake, but I wrote my uh, small framework <laughs> for this application based on Ruby and Sinatra. As a, uh, it's a kind of simple uh, web server. And also I currently have Angular 1 as a backend. So in this backend, you can just, uh, so the application, the main application, which are for users, it's at the moment, it's a dialogue system. So user start to use it and, uh, you know, receive some uh, questions like, uh, what's your company name? What are you do, doing now? What do you like to do with your marketing? It asks uh, different questions and uh, in the end, you have some marketing campaign running. So this backend, uh, Backend based on Angle 1, and the mobile app is based on Angle 2. So I actually rewrote it, rewrote it at some point. And how, do, as far as your users of your application restart, are people using it yet, or what, what's the experience been? We have some users. So we currently do some interface changes, and uh, we have like several hundred users, several hundreds. Yeah, the, the, that's pretty much it. Have there been any, so we talked about some of the struggles with the versioning side of things, but what about the positives? What were the, the good good things you know, that came out of using Angular? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. excuse, excuse me, uh, you know, I, I make uh, things uh, look a little bit green, but actually, you know, Angular was very, very helpful. So positives, reusability, you can just, uh, you know, it was actually very easy to rewrite from version 1 to version 2. Uh, for me, you know, I, I had to learn a little bit and then it was very smooth. So when you wrap around this, uh, wrap your head around these concepts, uh, everything was very smooth. Also, the performance is much better than it was in Angular 1. What are important for startups, I think, is the ability to quickly write functionality and in case of Angular, it's very simple because, uh, you know, you have this command line, you have some uh, basic workflow, like you create a component, uh, put there some services, uh, you have some pipes. So these pipes are already available for the whole application. You have, uh, like, uh, forms, uh, and um, for forms, you can implement this uh, advanced checking what kind of forms did you end up using, curiously? Since there's template-driven, there's the reactive. Um, at first, it was template-driven, and later, it, uh, it I started to use uh, reactive. Why reactive? Because um, I had to implement some uh, this uh, this custom checking of uh, input values. Also, I created created a kind of strange thing uh, in Angular One. I created what you see is what you get editor of these forms. So gotcha. you can just uh, grab uh, like text input or paragraph or, uh, you know, predefined controls. And these controls are actually not so simple. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's maybe upload a file, maybe it's kind of swiper, like you can swipe some cards to write. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm asking because I have, if anybody's listened to this podcast with me in the past about forums, I'm a little torn. Because mm-hmm. the template-driven side, 
I like some things about it and others I don't. The biggest thing I don't like is that you have so much stuff inside your HTML with the templates. Yeah, it. exactly. Exactly. And then the reactive side, you end up, it's not like you have a lot less. You still have some of the HTML, but you move a lot of code that honestly doesn't feel all that intuitive to me to the component. So I feel like both of those, while there's pros and cons of each, neither one is exactly where I want it to be. And I actually would prefer kind of a hybrid where, and, and I don't need another open source project to start, believe me, but <laughs> I'd love to have something yeah. that kind of mixed those two a little bit and ended up having like a model-driven form where I define my model and its validation, what I want in a class or just, you know, function. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that kind of fed the form. So I don't have to have all the stuff at the component level. Cause if you reuse the same, like say a customer object across multiple forms, I don't want to have to keep redefining this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. how, how have you dealt with like validation in, in the forms? Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all in one cloud computing platform for developers scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash adventures. Basically, on backend, I have this editor and I have some sort of uh, JSON, JSON structure, which, uh, which I form and um, I send it uh, to the client. And on the client side, I uh, make these reactive uh, forms uh, dynamically. So uh, I parse uh, this JSON. And in this JSON, every single input is uh, having some sort of validations, like uh, max characters uh, or any other type. And in my client application, you know, it's uh, dynamically assembled and, uh, you know, users see the form. <laughs> What's interesting, I also, you know, have uh, some unusual controls. And for these unusual controls, like, for example, up upload a file also, make these flags like for the whole form like if a user for example don't input uh, two items in some advanced control like a uh, control of list mm, i have such control so if he uh, doesn't put two uh, items uh, it it sets the form invalid so so you're saying you're generating these forms out of metadata uh yeah out uh, of uh, so my non-technical co-founder, he just constructs these forms uh, in his uh, editor based on Angular, and the uh, client side is uh, constructing them on the fly. That's interesting. I, how do you make them look good? I've, that's, that's always, for me, been the challenge of metadata-driven forms is, is, yeah, I could do it, but getting the layout right and the look and feel right, instead of just sort of generically dropping, you know, dropping them on the page that that's been a problem that can be a problem for anything that beyond sort of administrator screens that you you don't really care what they look like so 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 do you have an, a layout metadata do you do anything special there or, or do you just um, jump i mean i don't know maybe you just throw them on the screen 
yeah, I, I kind of throw it into the screen. But what I have actually, you know, this, I, I tried to keep it simple, like one layer. At first, I, I thought that uh, maybe to make, the, you know, full, ca like, editor with a lot of capabilities, yeah, <laughs> with a lot yeah, of functionality. Yeah, yeah. But it's a and, dark, dark, dark path. Yeah, going exactly. down that and it's just... So hard. you know, and actually, backend supports it. Uh, like uh, you can uh, have nested components, like the, some some container, and in this container there are some forms, forms and <laughs> forms and forms and forms. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it doesn't look good actually in the end. So I decided to make it simple. And actually, in this case, uh, when you have uh, not, um, you know, the huge, uh, we don't like huge forms for you. Yeah. Like, so in this case, we have a uh, like question. And one question is usually require only, you know, one or two inputs. So you don't need to have all this complexity. Gotcha. Yes. No, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Uh, and and metadata-driven forms make perfect sense in 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 the right circumstances. It's just I just wondered how you know it, there's this sort of crossover of complexity point at which you can't do it, uh, or I haven't been able to do it. It's just been too hard. But uh, so I, I've had to have that balance between you know when do I generate it and when do I not. And uh, I just wondered how you focused on that. Um, yeah. But this is quite apart from the whole reactive versus template driven. Did uh, I, I'm sorry for some reason my brain missed. Did you make mm -hmm. a decision on which way to go, reactive versus template? I currently use uh, reactive because it's uh, almost impossible to have all this functionality with uh, complex checking, like you have different checking, like. You want to have regex, you want to have um, length, you want to have uh, all this stuff. And besides it, you also want to have some custom checking. And so when I did it, it was almost impossible to achieve this uh, if you're using template-driven forms. Because why? Why was it hard? Actually, I didn't remember exactly. But I know how that is. If I had said that, if you'd asked me that out something yesterday, I'd written yesterday, I would have forgotten yeah. the answer too. Yeah. But I, I remember uh, that, you know, I, I experimented a lot to actually make it work, uh, but I ended with just uh, dynamic initialization with reactive forms. Like you, you have this JSON, you parse it, and, you know, you set all these uh, custom validation uh, mechanisms. One of the things you said is that you try to avoid putting reactive forms within reactive forms. Is that correct? What I had actually is just complex uh, HTML editor. So all these components like, you know, form inputs, like these custom form components, I just tried to avoid nesting, actually. That's yeah. Uh, but, these uh, are leading. These are leading questions because you're going. You know, I have a. I have a pretty. I have my own position on template versus reactive, and I have found. I've gone all the way with template. I've given up on reactive. Really? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, not only because I have a whole series of reasons, but one of the killers for me was. The building nested components with reactive was the, the whole thing just seemed to fall apart in my hands. And I don't, I remember, maybe I misremember Kara trying to do a presentation on, 
on that particular problem and finding that, you know, her essentially conceding that it was uh, extremely difficult, you know, like to have an NGIF that makes some parts of it appear and disappear and all like that. It just seemed like the for the outer form lost contact with what was going on and anything coming mm-hmm. and going inside it. And I wondered if you had experienced that, but that was one of the, that was one of the big decisive factors for me in just walking away from reactive entirely. No, uh, when you said it, I actually recalled why I, um, you know, <laughs> dropped template-driven forms. At the moment, it was impossible to have these validations if you use templates. Yeah, that's what uh, everybody yeah. says. That's what everybody says. That's what John was saying. <laughs> yeah, can, exactly. I'm, I'm here to tell you, not true. Okay. But not documented either about how mm-hmm. you, how you can do it. And I guess for over a year, I had promised to show people how to do it. Wait, how um, we can do what? Sorry? What validation yeah, with template. It's just fine. It works just great. As a matter of <laughs> No, it doesn't. No, it does. And you just don't know how to do it. Exactly. Uh, I'm holding okay. the phone wrong. <laughs> exactly. You are holding the phone wrong. Uh, mm. It's absolutely doable. Not only doable, but I mean. That doesn't sound like fun or easy, though. It's also uh, easy. Oh. But the problem is you have to know how. Yeah, You have to take a, a, a slightly different view and you have to know what's going on. So um, where is this mystical art documented? I'm sorry, I have to run right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> I've given you a hard time because I know you know how to do this. But it's it's in his other jeans. It, it's, it's in my other, exactly, it's in my other pocket. It's in my other podcast right now. I really think we need to change the story on this and, and let people know what to do about it. I don't want to hijack the podcast on it, but not only that, but we really, I'm really, we're doing it on, I can't take full credit for it. We're really doing it in a project that I'm doing, working on right now. One of the drivers, it, but it fits right into what you're talking about, which is uh, metadata driven. In our case, it's metadata driven validation. So we did have to, uh, in order to make that really work well, we have, it's not me, my buddy Marcel has written a um, validation framework, if you want to call it that, a little library in which allows you to describe the business rules around either the model object, the entity that you're trying to present, or if you have a view model around the view model. And then what happens is you're, you're sort of build up your rules there and it projects any validation errors onto the screen for you into the template driven form. And it's relying on ng model for two way data binding. And it works like a charm. And there's well, no is this library available maybe anywhere? Uh, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will. We, but it sounds interesting. Now, when you hear it, though, it makes you want to. It makes your ears stand up, right? Because you say, "I've been looking for that." Right? No, yeah. no extra, no serious goop in the um, in the HTML. No, <laughs> right? That's what we're looking for. Because John's objection was that he seemed to find he was putting all this this stuff in HTML, right, John? Crap. Yes. Crap. You could call it. Which, by the way, when I did reactive, I remember having to put that crap there, too. So I'm sorry. I can't look at a reactive form and say, wow, that HTML looks a lot cleaner than my, my template driven. I've never seen that. So if right. That's wants- what we were saying before. Is you, even with reactive, you still have stuff in the form. I still feel like remember, remember that. What was that product that some guy created a while ago that had model driven validation? You mean Breeze? 
Yes. <laughs> oh, I that. like that better. And not because you wrote it. Honestly, I didn't want to use it because you wrote it. Just kidding. I know but, that's the way you are, John. <laughs> but I liked the idea that you could have model-driven data because if you have the same stuff in multiple forms, I don't have to keep repeating it all over the place. That's right. Now, that that isn't mo- uh, when you had first said model-driven forms, I was really worried because that was where uh, I was thinking, whoa, 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 those are those big products from Microsoft too, no, where, no, you would, I, where you would define a model and it would, it would draw the screen for you. And, and, no, and thank you. <laughs> well, no, and that's what we were just talking about, metadata driven form. And it's right for little administrative screens where you, yep. you know, but it's, but, but for a real, con- especially a consumer facing app, it just never seems to draw the form you would want a user to use. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but the, the validation thing is, I am a firm believer that validation does not belong in the HTML. And I'll say it again. Every time I see somebody trying to decorate out the HTML with all kinds of validation attributes and stuff like that, I say no. Because precisely for what John was talking about, that the rules aren't in the HTML. They don't belong in the HTML. They belong, they're, they're, they're model-driven rules. Now, obviously, there are exceptions. There are things you're doing on the screen that might um, that are very screen specific and are not part of the model, and that's cool, you know. Like some kind of checkbox that opens and closes the things to reveal sections of the form. Yeah, that's just local to the form, and that's fine. But real validation is model validation. It is not screen validation. And, yeah, exactly. And we need library. I don't know why, but there is not a. Um, I don't run into any publicly facing available um, uh, model validation libraries that could be used not just with Breeze, but with anything. So interestingly, we have written one for this application we're working on and I'm looking at it or, you know, again, I really, it belongs to Marcel and I look at it and I say, you know what, this isn't Breeze specific. This isn't anything specific. Well, actually it ties into NGRX, but it wouldn't even have to do that. And I think the world could use it. So maybe we'll figure out how to open source it, or maybe we'll get some people to start working on this as its own problem, because it is its own problem. We've got to, we've got to stop thinking we can solve this by throwing stuff onto the screen. Okay, that was my soapbox. But yes, you can do for sure, even if you didn't have this framework, for sure, you can absolutely create for yourself a generic little space on the in a template driven form and then control that entirely through a validation uh, logic of your own make it do what it's supposed to do it works fine because mm-hmm. it turns out that ng model has more features than you think it does it has features that will tie you into to uh, you can learn when things changed and all the stuff that you need to do to trigger some validation logic you have in code so aside from forms and all that, Roman, Iliad, mm-hmm. what other features, I'm curious, like performance side, did you take advantage of creating multiple lazy loaded modules? Uh, how did the production build with AOT stuff work out for you? Uh, what's kind of what things did uh, matter to you and your app and how did it turn out? So ahead of time completion, I think, <laughs> allows us to dramatically not not dramatically but uh, significantly increase uh, the loading of of the application uh what about lazy loading uh, i currently um, don't have it in my application because uh, you know with startup you must uh, prioritize uh, 
new features or you know changes uh, some changes uh, which are more about users uh, but uh, you know I, I currently think about uh, implemented so um, implement and, and models everywhere and have this lazy loading yeah, I think that's a, a good point you make about lazy loading too I've noticed we tend to think about and I recommend this myself that start with lazy loading with a lot of your modules because mm -hmm. why not? But in some apps, I, I don't think lazy loading makes sense in 100% of the cases. I think it's, it'd be hard-pressed to find anything in the world that's 100% all the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes your app, uh, based on the size of it or the way you use it, maybe you need the whole thing right up front before it's all usable. Uh, maybe it's not broken out in such a way that there's routes. Uh, there's There are apps I've built where I've used lazy loading and afterwards I was like, you know, let me try this without it. And there was no perceivable difference. Although those are rare, to be honest with you. So yeah. I'm actually glad you bring that up because it's not, it's nice to call out that it's not something you have to use all the time. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when you work uh, for some freelance project or for your em employer, you sometimes have much more resources and much more time available and when you have a startup you it, it's a race actually uh, it's a race you have some money no, uh, you, you don't have any money at all don't, don't <laughs> any money at all and you have some food in your you know, I'm like wait a minute you're a startup you had money right off the bat wow <laughs> yeah so, so so it's a race and uh, when you have this choice to make things right according to tutorials and you have choice to try new thing to just uh, find this market fit when users start really use your application and you feel it you know instantly when you find it so so um, you have these two choices you can just uh, fix everything and make uh, the perfect app with uh, lots of documentation, with tests. Oh, oh we forgot about tests, actually. Um, uh, who needs those? Come on. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally overrated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, we also, uh, you always prioritize the functionality and you always prioritize some like uh, there is a technique which called optimizing for learning. So you try to learn new things about your users constantly. So w what are they, what problems uh, do they have? So that's the goal. And that's the big difference from, you know, the freelance project. Yeah. Yep. Now, when you run tests, do you do end-to-end -end tests as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we. Uh... Yeah, sure, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I ask because I tell you, I have, I for years I've been a big fan of unit testing, but more recently I've actually switched in the last year or two to running more end-to-end -end tests uh, because that's, and I don't know why I got here, but I know that I like it. <laughs> I feel more <laughs> safe with my apps with the end-to-end -end tests. I'm not sure what else to say. Yeah, by the way, what's interesting, just recently me and Roman were preparing a course about Angular uh, testing. And, well, uh, to be honest, we had some difficulties uh, because as far as I remember, 
Oh, well, we had some code that well, was not running at all, though judging by documentation, it should have worked. Uh, there was, I think, some problems with a protractor on Windows, because, well, I am quite a big fan of Windows uh, these days, <laughs> and not these days too, because, well, I used to be a Microsoft tutor, as I said, and so when I tried to run end-to-end testing locally on my PC, nothing was working at all, though on Roman system, it worked. And then yeah, I found out... Yeah, on, on Macintosh. And then I found out that I literally have to go ahead and replace executable files with some uh, executable files to, taken from Roman's PC. So mm-hmm. I just literally go ahead and uh, tweaked the core of Protractor, as far as I remember. So that was quite painful. Yeah, it was extravaganza, actually. They've stopped maintaining Protractor. It's, I don't think it's been, as far as I can tell, they haven't been keeping that up. And so maybe you guys know something I don't, but, but recently, and also because the Windows problems and things like that. So recently in my company, we have shifted away from Protractor. We no longer are using it. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. like, well, uh, to us, that happened like maybe six months ago. So it was in, uh, during the winter. Yes, that's true. It was about, well, I mean, we switched away from it about six months ago too. Ah. Okay. And in part, that was also because, and this is something else you may have experienced, and John, maybe you have too. You can get, you know, you're sitting there and you're trying to say, okay, click a button, wait until the UI refreshes, now do the next thing. All right. You know, there, that's the constant thing, right? Particularly if there's some kind of asynchronous thing going on in the money. Yes, sure. And that was getting very painful, getting, wow. you know, making things wait, making things wait properly and not throwing in a lot of, you know, arbitrary timers and saying, I don't know, I guess I'll just put a timer in here and wait for five seconds because I know it'll be done by then. That kind of sort of hack around stuff. Did you guys run into that? Have have those kinds of problems when you were using it? Yeah, constantly. Actually. Right. Exactly. Constantly. That's so how is that unique to Protractor though, Board? Because we switched to something else and we and it went away. It went away because that something else apparently does a better job of knowing what's happening with your Right. Uh, so still, it waits for you. So protract the problem wasn't the waiting; it was that protractor wasn't waiting for the job. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That was my experience as well. A lot. Of All right. It. All right. So surely uh, everybody wants to wait for uh, wants to know the answer about what we are using, and I won't have to go away to tell you that we're using Test Cafe. Mm-hmm. I have heard about it. It's quite and now, when I say we again, once again, I cannot take credit for this. My uh, colleague and a former uh, Angular documentation colleague, Jesus Rodriguez, has been sort of leading our way forward to using Test Cafe for our end-to-end testing, and we've been doing a lot of it. That's a DevExpress product, isn't it? It's, yes, it is. Interesting. I haven't used this, but I've heard of it. I've been using Cypress. I'm kind of curious. We should do a whole show on this topic. We should, but I thought Cypress was a uh, Cypress was a unit testing framework. Um, am I wrong? No, no it's end end to end. I see. I'm totally lost. Uh, so great. We should do we should do a a, a talk about um, about that. Stuff. And Roman and Iliad, did you use Protractor then with your testing? Oh, we used it, but currently it's, you know, almost impossible. <laughs> like you, all yeah. the time you hack things. Yeah, you just yeah. hack your way and then you're just sick of it. You know, mm-hmm. the, in, and I know we're, we're kind of getting on it right now, but I think the idea of unit of end-to-end testing is is the important thing here, right? 
making sure that the flow through your system actually works the way that you and your users expected it. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where the, the unit tests fall apart, right? Is that yep. you can, you can test small units, but the interactions in the, fr- in our, especially in our front ends with things like Angular, React, and Vue, they've just gotten complex enough to where we have to know that they're all playing nicely with each other. By the way, I'm reading the DevExpress Cypher Test Cafe, and there's something that really stands out to me. Right in the middle, it says, you do not need WebDriver or any other testing software to run this. Yeah. So that itself has me intrigued. So I'm curious what they're doing under the covers. But yeah, let's talk about that one in another show, Chuck. Yeah, definitely. I'll see if we can line somebody up. Is Test Cafe free then? Is there a free version? Yep. Very cool. And and you know what? For these kinds of things, even if it wasn't, you could, <laughs> I would I would I would pay lots of money. Well, you know, only you know I would pay tens of dollars, <laughs> <laughs> right? Tens of dollars for a tool that does something. All right, ten dollars for a piece of software. I'm sure they're they're just can't wait. I know to I know that's a budget buster for many of you out there. <laughs> Because uh, your time is worth zero, right? I thought all JavaScript was free anyway. Is, isn't like your startup, Roman, isn't that everything free, right? All right, I More quit. Less, I, I yeah. freaking uh, quit, John. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. <laughs> all right. Hey, you guys, it really sounds like you're, uh, you've got a good, good product moving along there, and I appreciate you sharing all your insights with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. We're kind of at that time anyway. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Ward, do you want to start us with picks? Well, I think I just did. I say go look at Test Cafe because it's been working for us. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at other things, but I can tell you it's been working for us. Awesome. Uh, John, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I've got two. One is the new Azure pipelines or the Azure DevOps. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, it's uh, some of you may have heard of it as VSTS in the past, but it's that and much, much more. Came out this week, actually, which I think by the time this airs will be uh, two weeks ago. And it's pretty cool. You can basically get free cloud hosted pipelines for Linux, Mac, Windows, etc. for open source projects. Uh, so it's free for the open source projects. And there's a bunch of details on the website. I'll put the link up here so everybody can check it out. My second pick is the new GitHub pull request extension for VS Code, which uh, also came out very recently, just a couple of days ago. And uh, makes it super simple, written by a collaboration of the GitHub folks and the folks in the VS Code team, to view all your pull requests right inside VS Code and deal with them right there. Uh, it's just pretty darn cool. So loving that too. Nice. I'm going to do a couple of shout outs here real quick, just for places that I'm going to be that, you know, we may be able to meet up. One of them is Microsoft Ignite. 
And I know John's going to be there as well. You're speaking at it, aren't you, John? That I am. Come see my session, please. I'm actually working on the demo today. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, so over the last few years, Microsoft has brought specifically uh, myself or uh, AJ O'Neill and I, you know, depending on the event, to come out and talk to folks for JavaScript Jabber. Anyway, so they they arranged it. Typically, they've taken us to Microsoft Connect and Microsoft Build, but uh, my understanding is is that they're either not going to have a Connect event this year, or they're going they're postponing it or something. Anyway, there's something going on there, so uh, they wanted us to come out, and they've moved some of the dev information to Ignite, and so uh, yeah, so we'll be out there talking to folks like John and and other folks. Uh, we usually wind up talking to somebody on the VS Code team and. And uh, yeah, so it should be exciting. Um, I just found out I'm going to go. Still working out the details. But if you want to know when and how to uh, connect with me while I'm there, you can uh, just follow me on Twitter. And my handle is C-M-A-X-W-C-M-A-X-W. And yeah, I, I think that's really the best way to do it. I'm going to try and pull together some kind of meetup. I'll see if I can convince John to show up. And I, I don't know what your schedule is around the event, so I, I can't promise you'll be there. But I'll be uh, there all week during the day. Yeah. And then I'm also going to see if I can get a few other friends uh, from other programming communities, maybe Greg Pollock or somebody, to show up. So anyway, uh, looking forward to that. And yeah, the other pick that I have is uh, there was an Apple event today. And it's funny, like all the things that they announced, the thing that I'm most excited for is macOS Mojave. Uh, and that's going to come out um, basically when this goes live. It, it's coming out next week. So um, looking forward to that as well. You're not going to get an iPhone XS? Or XR or LMNOP. I don't know. So, yeah, I have an iPhone 6 Plus and it's starting to get a little bit weird. So maybe... But I keep getting tempted to go over to Android. So, uh, Ilya, do you have some picks for us? Uh, well, yeah, I think I do. Well, the first one would be, I guess, the framework that I've mentioned today, which is Stimulus. And I don't think that many people have heard about it yet. It was created by, well, the people who built Ruby on Rails. And, well, I've tried it. I've written a couple of articles about it. And I was very fond of it, especially for small projects or for projects that has to be built quickly. And, well, it plays is very nicely with rails and various turbulence so i would say go ahead and try it because it's quite cool really roman anything about you <laughs> yeah so i would like to recommend you some lecture it's uh, michael siebel building product uh, it's published a few days ago so um, you know it's a part of y combinator startup school so highly recommended. Also, I think a little bit unrelated, actually. There is um, a kind of open uh, machine learning course. It's mlcourse.ai. And next session starts on October 1st, October. So I also, you know, recommend it. It's completely free and you can a little bit dive into this exciting world of machine learning. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Uh, if people want to find either of you online, where do they go? I'm assuming Twitter, blog, things like that. 
GitHub. Uh, so, well, I have a personal website. So on my website, I just put links to my articles and my website is bodrovies.tech. And so there I have all links to my social networks and stuff because I'm writing well, for lots of blogs, actually. So it would be strange to give all the links here, but uh, feel free to visit my site, to drop me a line, to ask me something and to follow me on Twitter where I also uh, report about my latest articles and screencasts and courses. And my Twitter is Bodrov ES as well. So that's it. Yeah, my, my Twitter is uh, Kutanov, like my surname, K-U-T-A-N-O-V. But uh, actually, I'm not much into social media right now because I have to program on, <laughs> have to drive my project. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming and talking to us. We'll go yes. ahead and wrap this one up and we will be back next week. Yeah, thanks for coming and, and bringing us some uh, Ruby perspective. We haven't had that on the show in a long time. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, uh, hopefully, maybe, maybe we uh, will be able to talk well in some other channel because as far as I, I know, your website also has talks on Ruby or Rails. Oh, that yeah. might be interesting for us because we use Ruby and Rails quite a lot. So, <laughs> Yeah, we have a long-running Ruby podcast called Ruby Rogues, and we also have Elixir Mix if you're doing Elixir. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm quite fun of Alexor, and uh, well, I haven't used it, used it much in production, but well, re recently my course on Alexor was released on Edonix. It's well for complete beginners. It like talks about what functional programming is and well how to get started with Alexor, etc. But well, it spans about ten hours. So, well, I do have some experience with Alexor as well. <laughs> yeah, so if people want to check any of that out, uh, you know our shows and your course. Uh, definitely do that. Yeah. And if you have ideas for those shows, let me know and we'll we'll see about getting them scheduled. Sure. Yeah, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.